0: Welcome to the Maximus Podcast with your host Joe Sabula and Bobby Maximus. Today's episode is sponsored by Lalo Tactical, L-A-L-O Use the code Maximus50 to get yourself 50% off Maximus shoes, grinders, Zodiacs, whatever you want. We're also sponsored by 10,000. T-E-N-T-H-O-U-S-A-N-D dot Use the code Maximus15 uh, for the best in athletic wear, shorts, shirts, stuff like that. Very excited to have a fellow Canadian on the podcast, Mark Fitzgerald, Mark, hopefully you do not bring out my Canadian accent. Um, no, the hopefully he does. <laughs> yeah, I, sound, I, sound American until I start talking to other Canadians and then it, 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 it comes out pretty bad, but we're super excited to have Where's you on a uh, person. I've looked up to for a while. Respect. Um, I don't know where he is. You got to chill, man. This is a life of working at home, Mark. You got kids? <laughs> yeah. yeah. There's three of them here right now and,
1: and a couple animals. So I might, uh, I might do the same.
0: <laughs> Fair enough. So we're, we're dealing with this, but you're a guy respected for a while. You've, you've been a, a strength coach for the Leafs, uh, for the Anaheim Mighty Ducks. Uh, you currently work for Under Armour and now uh, the Okanagan Hockey Group, which is, which is, you know, quite a big deal. So why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself and kind of what you've done, where you've been?
1: Well, yeah. Thanks, uh, Bobby and Joe, for having me on. This is this is awesome, man. I'm glad we uh, reconnected. Um, you know what? I, I'm am a strength coach. I'm a coach at heart, and I, I like you know I look for opportunities to do that. And I was very fortunate to uh, you know spend uh, eight seasons in Toronto as a head strength coach for the Marlies and assistant for the Leafs, and met a lot of good people. And within that same time, I, I opened my own facility. Uh, I now we now have uh, three facilities in southern Ontario: two in Whitby and one in Oshawa. Um, you know, we have a, a growing staff and, uh, uh, pretty, pretty lucky to be, you know, helping those young staff people grow and, and, what have you. Um, I spent the last five years with the Anaheim ducks, like you mentioned, uh, another cool experience and, um, you know, got to move my family out to Southern California and enjoy all the things that that had to offer. And hopefully, uh, moving one last time, uh, now on the West coast of Canada in Kelowna, looking to uh, take on a role with Okanagan and as well I'm going to be opening uh, another ETS out here Uh, not quite to the same scale as the ones uh, that are in Ontario but but more of a training camp for the off season for some NHL, NFL players and uh, maybe some other stuff too but mostly it's going to be uh, concentrated on a small selection of people
0: Good, good, I I love hearing that now I do have some questions about hockey hockey is fairly big in the state but where we're from in Canada, it's religious. Um, was there a difference working for the Leafs versus working for Anaheim in terms of pressure or do all professional organizations treat it pretty much equally?
1: Um, I would say yes and no, you know, like there's, there's definitely something, something, there's one of the dogs. Uh, I'm sorry. Uh, you know, working for the Leafs just has a a feeling. You know, I, I remember walking into our practice facility, which was pretty new when, uh, when the time that I arrived, I think it, was, it just opened maybe the year before the MasterCard Center. And I remember walking through those doors and I just, you know, I, I felt so overwhelmingly special. You know, if that's the right thing to say, but it was just one of those things I felt privileged to be able to walk through those doors. And Obviously it's not for my hockey skills, but, um, you know, just to be able to be initially be in that room and and be part of that logo. And, you know, all my buddies played hockey, you know, I played hockey too, but not like them, you know, they played triple A and they played junior and OHL and all that stuff. And I was a football guy and, you know, none of them really, none of my buddies really made it to that level, played any pro games or anything like that. Um, a couple of them probably could have, but, you know, so I was the one that kind of, you know, made it in terms of the hockey stuff. And, you know, they would call me and ask me, you know, different things. And I think for a a number of years, they almost didn't believe that I was there. You know, and it was was kind of interesting because they were obviously very supportive and whatever, but it was almost like uh, uh, unbelievable to them to some degree that I would, you know, made my way there and and what have you. And you talk about a class organization, it was from top to bottom. Uh, In Anaheim was, was definitely different. You know, and I think I wouldn't say it was better or worse or whatever. It's just different. You know, hockey is still, you know, the organization is very passionate and very, uh, um, you know, wanting to win, you know, because they have tasted success in 2007, they won a cup. So, you know, I think the expectation every year from them is to win, you know, and I think that wasn't, Toronto had a similar expectation, but it was just different. You know, it's the, in Toronto was the logo was so, powerful and the whole you know being part of the leafs was so powerful even mlse like being part of that organization was powerful and and i was just a little bit different you know there's so much going on in orange county you know that sometimes i think the ducks get kind of lost in the in the uh, the hecticness of it um but at the same time they're growing hockey like crazy so when the ducks were winning people were showing up you know so it was definitely different but both situations had a lot of similarities
0: now, being from Whitby, you were born in Whitby, correct? Is that the like kind of where you are born and raised? So it's kind of a suburb of Toronto. I mean, what, it's about 45 mm-hmm. minutes out. Yep. So you, you grew up a massive hockey fan. When you got into the industry, did you have a hard time not nerding out over players or fanboying? Like, like Joe and I had a guy named Edge on the last podcast who's WWE royalty. And I'll be honest with you, I had to keep my shit together. Cause it's edge. Like, it's like, you know, one of my heroes. Yeah. You know what?
1: I think I got lucky again with, um, with my buddies, you know, because they were all hockey players. So when I went in for one of my, for my initial interview, um, you know, I walked right in and it was a, a practice day for the Leafs. Uh, cause I got hired in my first year was kind of in, I think it was in November, October or November. Um, and you know, all the guys start walking through, and the strength coach at the time, who eventually was my boss, just started introducing me to guys, and I was just like, "There's just another room full of hockey guys. Like they're all like my buddies. You know, they look like my buddies. They talk like them. So it wasn't really a, it wasn't really a big deal. Hey, don't get me wrong. Walking in there, you know, yes, there was definitely, you know, I was nervous and whatever. But at the end of the day, when I'm in the gym, and they're just athletes in the gym, it was. I was comfortable, okay. you know, like it wasn't, it wasn't that big of a deal. I, and I honestly think that helped me because I was so comfortable because of my buddies and because of being in the, being around the hockey culture. You know, I, I just spent my first, uh, the last two years working for the Oshawa generals, which is a local team, a junior hockey team that helped me a ton because, you know, just immersing myself more in that hockey team culture, you know? So that first interview day, he, uh, my boss at the time put me with an injured guy. Um, I can't remember his name, Van Ryan, who's a defenseman, and I just trained him, you know, and it went really well. And he must have given some good feedback to my to my boss, and you know, it was, it was like nothing. And I got hired that day, you know. So it wasn't again. I'm not saying that I'm whatever. It was just more of my comfort level with um, being in that atmosphere was evident, you know.
0: Yeah, I'm I'm kind of laughing here because it's funny that you. Kind of talk about the Oshawa Generals like it's some junior hockey team. Like people in the states listening, think the Oshawa Generals are probably like some twelve-year-old kids with like a thousand people in the stands. But the Oshawa Generals, like the OHL in Canada, is big business. Like that's a huge massive job yeah. in in strength and conditioning. How did you how did you get into this industry? Because that's a question I get asked a lot, and I've I've wondered that. Like I, I'd love to work for the Raptors. I'd love to work for the Leafs. I'd love to work. How did you get into your foot in the door with that stuff?
1: You know, man, I mean, I think the hockey world is so small and I'm, I'm sure the, you know, we all, and it's just not like strength and conditioning. That's pretty small as well. Right. It, it, you get a lot of crossover and you get a lot of people that know each other and whatever. And I think I got very lucky in terms of, you know, people that I did work for, you know, were, were saying good things about me, you know? And I think, I was, I had doors open for me. I work for a guy named Adam Foote, who you might remember. He's a big, mean defenseman for the Avalanche, pretty, you know, won a bunch of Stanley Cups, won, won basically everything win I, in can hockey.
0: I, can I stop you right there? Yeah. You're, you're a Canadian. I expect you to refer to them as the Nordiques. <laughs> <laughs> All right? Sure. The, <laughs> the Quebec Nordiques they will always be the Canadian. I've got to stop
1: you. That's a good but, point. But now you can point. continue with right. these yeah. You know what? And, and having a guy like that, you know, speak highly of you and knock, you know, kick open some doors. And another guy, David Branch, who's the commissioner of the CHL, uh, which is a big deal in Canada as well. You know, guys like that saying good things, it, it just, it goes a long way. And I think, you know, you could be on the wrong end of it too. Don't get me wrong. I mean, and, and I, I don't think I have been, but I've been fortunate enough to, you know, put in the work when I'm, put in these good situations. I'm a hardworking guy by nature. And, you know, I love it, you know? So it's, I think once I got those opportunities, it just kind of the ball kept rolling, kept rolling. I mean, again, it helps to, as my first professional client was Adam foot, you know, that kind of solidifies me Not solidifies me, but it, it definitely opens the door for more opportunities for someone like me. If I can put that guy in my resume and, you know, at the time when I first started working with him, we were training for the 06 Olympics And if you know, you know, Adam, the way he played was very hard, very aggressive and, you know, he was, he was broken, you know? So it really, as a green, somewhat green coach in terms of, you know, training around injuries and stuff like that, it was, it was a huge lesson for me on how to, how to approach someone like that, how to make sure that we get the amount of work done that we need in order to, you know, make him successful. Um, You know, so I think that's, you know, getting those opportunities is one thing, but then, you know, capitalizing on the opportunity and making sure that I put my full effort into it, making sure that I, you know, uh, did my job and did it well. And I think that goes a long way.
2: Mark, where did that that opportunity come from? I mean, you started working with Adam, well, how did that come about? Because that seems to be the thing that sort of pushed you onward. So how did you get from before you are who you are to now? Like, how did that all come to pass? Well, Adam, Adam is from Whippy. Um, okay.
1: and he is, he went to high school with one of my older brothers. I have two older brothers and, um, you know, there's, it's a small town, you mm-hmm. know, it's uh, yeah, you know, so it was, I was training some hockey players. I was training some football kids. I was coaching football, you know, and I just, I asked my brother, Hey, do you know, if Adam's hiring or he's looking for anybody. And, you know, I, I got connected with one of his guys that was at the gym and it just kind of filtered down and they brought me in. And I guess I, I did well on a initial interview with them and, you know, they asked me some training questions. Oh, this is how I would approach it. And okay, we could, you know, we could use someone like you, what have you. And it just kind of went from there. I don't think it was, again, I, I think it comes back to a good network of people and mm-hmm. people speaking highly of you, even if they don't know your, you know, your skill set or your, you know, your work capacity, they know that you're a good person. And I think that kind of has opened the door and, um, you know, the rest is up to you to prove it, you know, work ethic and attention to detail and all those things. And, I feel like I did a good job doing that. And again, that just kept opening other
2: doors as well. And we hear that a lot with uh, a lot of the professionals that we interview is that, you know, uh, the the hard work pays off, but it's, it's being consistent and being, like you said, authentic, doing what you got to do, answering the questions, not necessarily being intimidated. Uh, I'm curious now, uh, Adam is a very, very hard hitting player, like you said, and and there were a lot of uh, I don't know, like tricky situations that you have to kind of figure out as a coach. You know, you got this guy who's just trying to go hard, hard, hard and you're, you don't want to rein him in. You want him to play his game, but you've got to kind of train around all of that. Uh, I would say he's more of like an extreme case, right? If you got like a, a more level-headed player, somebody uh, or level, uh, even keel, I guess, is the phrase I'm looking for. Do you find that having worked with Adam at that time made it even easier to work with most of your clients or oh is it God. always, always individual?
1: Yeah. 100%. He, he was, he still is the most competitive person I've ever met. He, you know, I, he would come home after the end season and he would just kind of, you know, looked me up and down on the first day. He's like, what do you, you know? What are you benching? What are you doing this? And he's just, you know, he's just in his head. He's just calculating the numbers. He's like, okay. You know, I'm just like, man, take it easy. You know, like <laughs> if we were golfing, if we were, yeah, I want to, I'm terrible at golf, but once in a while I can hit it pretty far and we were golfing at some fancy club with with uh him and a couple other guys and you know he had the nice gear or whatever i had my dad's old johnny miller 1000 clubs or whatever i didn't care and uh he hands me this new driver that he has because he had you know everything and he's like do you outdrive me you can keep it i'm like what <laughs> he drives. i somehow managed to outdrive him and he just hands it to me you know it's like just an example of just how competitive he is he didn't want to he wasn't going to ever hit that club again because all he would think about is his strength coach out driving him <laughs> on a hole that I, I had no business out driving him on. Right. Cause uh. it, it, but again, it, it spoke to, he might've have not have been the best, you know, puck moving defense, whatever you want, you know, on the hockey side, on the sports side, whatever, but his competitiveness just won him. A lot of those battles, his competitiveness, just, you know, won him those spots on teams because guys wanted him to be there, you know, leadership and, character or whatever, that that's the type of guy he was. So yeah, I think it definitely bled into me being able to handle other athletes, you know, guys that, you know, either didn't want to do the work or, you know, who needed to be reined in or whatever. He was a great first, you know, as a green coach, it was a, uh, you know, I'm thankful for that experience because it taught me to be a better coach, you know, to take th- things into perspective and, you know, make sure that whatever I was prescribing, programming, whatever was, the right way to do it, you know, and not the right way, but, um, was situationally appropriate, you know, there you go.
0: Now where, where did you learn? Cause Joe alluded to this earlier. Um, and we've talked about like professional experience, but where did you learn to do this? Cause I'll tell you, I got a bit of background to this. There's two types of guys in the strength and conditioning industry. You got guys like me that I have an English degree. Uh, I wrestle, I fought in the UFC I've always loved weights and, and I kind of ended up in the industry, but I've got zero certifications. I'm, I'm overly educated in what I call useless areas. Like I can tell you about Shakespeare and, and you know, other playwrights all day. I don't know what a certain muscles called, but I've managed to make it in the industry. And then I got a guy like Joe who's got 3,462 certifications I feel like you fall into the Joe camp because when I heard you speak at the NSCA, I was kind of blown away by how brilliant you are. What's your, what's your background?
1: Well, I I appreciate that, but I I don't think I'm, I'm definitely not one of those guys. I would consider myself more in your category just because, you know, again, I, I, we talked about it before. I I consider myself a, uh, a cook, You know, I'm just good at stealing other people's shit. You know, if I like something that I see you do on your site, I'm going to take that. I'm going to put it in my toolbox and I'm going to use it where I see appropriate, you know, and there's a guy named Mike Boyle who taught me a lot about those types of things and, you know, never to have the blinders on too much in terms of programming and how you assess athletes, how you, you know, look at a sport and how you have to be able to change your opinion you have to be able to not change your opinion, sorry, modify your opinion and what have you. But you know, my background was similar. I think I was intrigued by weightlifting and I had, you know, two older brothers, my, my middle brother, who's a uh, captain in the fire department now in Ajax, Ontario. He was a big proponent of me just getting involved. You know, he'd take me to the Oshawa civic center and, you know, drop an empty barbell on my chest and say, well, we're not leaving until you you know, bench that off yourself. So, you know, you better put some effort into it. So I think that was that indoctrination into Hey, this is lifting. It, it's hard. It sucks, but it's worth it. You know? And I think that's what really sparked my, you know, interest for it. And then I had a really good coach in high school football that were like coaches, sorry, that were awesome. And, said, you know, you better be lifting. And, you know, by grade 12, I was 275 and, you know, pretty big and strong and doing my thing in football and, you know, trying to look at maybe playing somewhere else, else after high school and, you know, I, and I, and I did my work too. You know, I think I'm actually doing my master's right now, which I don't recommend that, 40 years old, uh, with three children and the craziness that our lives is, or that our life is, um, you know, but I think I got my, I got my background, I got my health science degree and it, it kind of, at the time I didn't know what I really wanted to do when I was in school. And I honestly, and I've said this before on in other interviews that I just didn't think I would get a job as a coach. You know, I didn't think I'd get a job being a strength coach. Like you kidding me? Like it was even at my university, we didn't have a full-time guy. We had a couple of guys that would come in, you know, speed work or something like that or whatever. And most of them were just okay. And then I really, I started to realize after the fact that like, man, if I could get a job coaching, like how cool would that be? And then I just, you know, the supply teaching and doing my thing. And then, you know, like I mentioned before the opportunity with Adam came about and it was just like, okay, all of a sudden I have a, full-time salary position and I'm coaching. This is what I do. You know, it's just, it happens so fast. I mean, at the time it seemed deathly slow, but you know, and now I I look at it as I'm glad that I have the experience that I do because to be honest, I think it gives me an advantage. It gives me an advantage to these people who, you know, are those brilliant minds, but they don't really know how to coach, you know, and I'm not shitting on anybody. It's not about that. It's just more of, you know, to have, you know, um, equal parts training, knowledge, and the ability to read people and the personality side of it is so so incredibly important. And I think that's—I didn't my path a whole lot. You know, I think that's—and—and now—and now too. I mean, you can do so much education online, or you know, conferences and courses or whatever. Like it's—it's it's a great time to be a coach because you know, there's, there's so many resources out there from these people that are putting out this incredible content. So I feel like I'm kind of a mixture of both, you know, I, I, I value the, you know, the books and the education and all that kind of stuff, but I also value, um, the incredible opportunity to just learn about people's personalities, you know, Brett Bartholomew music, a buddy of mine. I feel like what he's doing for our industry is massive, you know, with just, um, having our coaches focus more on the interpersonal relationships and, um, reading athletes and, you know, making sure that you're comfortable with yourself and all those sorts of things. I know I'm getting long winded now, but it's kind of an open-ended question. And, um, you know, there's so many moving parts to it.
2: Have you ever felt, have you ever felt, uh, I guess limited by a particular certification or a particular qualification? Um, no, I don't think so.
1: I think, I think coaching itself is such an open platform, you know, like, if you have your NS you know your CSCS from the NSCA or you have your as long as you have something in my opinion that covers you insurance wise I think Mm -hmm. it's kind of open from there you know and I think that's it comes with experience I've been coaching now for 15 years and I feel really comfortable about pretty much any situation that I'm going to go into you know when I first got hired in Anaheim I um you know I was thinking about technology. I was thinking about supplementation, all these other things. But the one thing I wasn't thinking about was walking into the gym and, you know, being myself and being comfortable because I knew that was what I'm good at, you know? And I think that's, you, know, you can get all the certifications you want. And I get a, a ton of people reaching out to me, which is great. Young, young coaches that want to you know move their, move through their careers and all this. Oh, I got all these in their email signatures or, you know, a paragraph long because they put in all the distinctions and whatever. And that's great. It's good to have that knowledge, but just go and coach, just go and coach. Like, can you be in a room? Can you be yourself? You know, are you insecure and, you know, body language, all those things that go into it are so vital. And I feel like a lot of that is missed with all these certifications and whatever. If you can find a way to balance it out, I think you're going to start to work your way to be a good coach. No.
0: Where where do you learn from? And I want to talk a little bit about what you talked about at the NSCA. And if you can explain it to our listeners, it would be awesome because you had a great talk about uh, water specifically and like how to deal with the flight schedule, how to preload with water, drink water off the flight to acclimatize better and all that kind of stuff. But could you explain a little bit of that? And where do you get all your information from now? Like specifically, where did you get that from?
1: Well, I think that was one of the roles that I was, you know, thrust into with Anaheim was um, I was one guy. I had, you know, twenty-five NHL players um, that, you know, I was taking care of directly, and then we had our AHL team. Then we had all our prospects. We have, you know, I think every NHL team has sixty contracts, so a minimum of sixty contracts. So there's all of a sudden all of this stuff gets funneled to me, you know, and with the amount of time that we spent flying and traveling and eating at restaurants and. Uh caterers and whatever, I had to do all that, you know. So I'm very fortunate. Again, I think I have a pretty good network of people who are a hell of a lot smarter than me. Um and, and one of the guys that I did take a lot of those things from is a physiologist. Um uh Dean, oh, I can't remember his last name. Oh my god. I'll find his name in a second. But so he's a physiologist. He worked with um he worked on Lance Armstrong's team, to be honest, uh in tour de France for years. He works for Red Bull. And he's just a genius, you know, in my opinion, and we started talking about hydration and travel and because he had so much experience with crossing time zones and performance after getting off of long flights and all that kind of stuff. He's one of the guys that I, you know, went to and said, Hey, like, how, you know, what can I do here? What, what's the best strategy here? How do we, how do we do this? It's just about passing out water bottles to guys, but you know, what, what else can we do to make sure that our guys aren't getting off the plane and you know, bonking the next day
0: um,
1: another guy who's in my opinion five to ten years ahead of everybody else in the uh, nutrition world is dr james laval uh he's a guy that i'd love to connect you with because he's he's just brilliant and he's a he's a guy that i go to continually for um support around nutrition uh the immune system everything everything and anything and, and getting those strategies and putting them together and making sure that they can work for the group that i'm dealing with. Uh, but it was more about just, you know, deep diving in with other people that have been through it, you know, deep diving with guys that have you know traveled around the world and we don't travel around the world necessarily, but you now when you're on a flight for five hours and you're going to hop off and play a hockey game within the next 24 hours, it's you got to make sure that you're doing all the right things. So I think it's, it's more about reaching into my network and making connections with guys that have done it before me. And positives and negatives you know have they made mistakes where did they make mistakes and why and how can i not make those same mistakes and i made a ton don't get me wrong but you know the things that i thought i could control we did a pretty good job of doing that
0: so tell me about this water protocol because i want to hear more about that
1: you know what i hope i can remember it so um i use a supplement called um uh, hydrolite um, and it's a it's kind of like a pediolite for athletes so when the players got on the plane <clears throat> they had a 500 milliliter bottle and they were instructed to take four tabs of the um, Hydrolyte, which acted as a you know extra um, well, what it had and it had some B vitamins it had some uh, electrolytes it had some vitamin C so that would kind of that would kind of start them off on their flight with some hydration right away. And then by the end of the flight, we do the exact same thing. So four more tabs, another 500 milliliter bottle. And that was kind of the bookends of the flight in between. They're allowed to you know drink a little bit more if they want to, but they hadn't the minimum requirement was four before four upon landing. Um, and it, I found as well, if, if they did do that, you have a lot of guys getting off the plane with a little more bounce in their step, a little more energy, um, you know, and it, it almost set, it almost set the tempo for the flight as well, where, um, they had to, you know, they already got used to drinking the water. So they would just, again, sip on the water throughout the flight as well. You, or if they had a nap or whatever, they, as long as they got that done, when they first got on the flight, they could then, you know, I actually started making them up as the flight was ending, you know, and passing them out to guys as they got off the flight. So it was just more building habits around nutrition. And then you get guys asking about it, get guys talking about it and, Um, all of a sudden, you know, the, the product that we use Hydrolite, would come in these tubes and every guy off the plane is grabbing a tube, you know, and they just get used to it. And they, 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 they realize that, Hey, if I just, if I just do this, I feel that much better, you know? And uh, if I don't drink pop when I'm on the flight, if I don't drink whatever the hell else is on our, our plane, I'm going to feel a hell of a lot better getting off, you know, and part of the protocol, um, that we did in Anaheim as soon as we had a flight over three hours, when we land, we get off the flight, we usually get into a pool. we we'll do a little bit of a pool workout. If the hotel typically had pools, but if it didn't, then we'd get into a, their gym or we book a banquet room. I'd come with a whole bunch of equipment and we'd get moving right off the plane. And again, if you didn't hydrate, or if you didn't follow the protocol when you're on the flight, then that movement session just didn't feel as good, you know? And I think that was a good lesson for some of our older guys too, who maybe scoffed at it a little bit. It was, you know, they they started to realize how good they felt when they followed the protocol.
0: So I, I actually have a question because I have some experience with some hockey players. One of the things that shocked me is I was at a bar in Toronto called the Brand House, and I'm outside in a back alley, and there's a guy there, and he's smoking like a chimney <laughs> and drinking everything in sight. And he actually says to me, He's like, Hey man, you look real familiar. Did you fight in UFC? And I look at him, like, yeah, 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 I fought. He's like, hey, man, I'm I'm a fan. I've seen you fight, blah, 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 blah. And I'm like, you look familiar, too. What do do you do? Like, I I know you from around. And he goes, oh, I'm Eric Lindros. And I'm like, what the fuck (laughs) is happening here? Because, and then when when he said, I'm like, yeah, of course you're Eric Lindros. But I guess I didn't associate it because the guy likes to smoke. He likes to drink booze. And this is not... Just him I'm not throwing him Under the bus Yeah This this is hockey culture Like Brian Savage Out of Toronto Is a Or not out of Toronto To Sudbury Where I'm from He's a notorious partier A lot of these guys Have this Reputation How hard is it To get hockey players To conform To the nutrition Side of things
1: Yeah you know what I I think it's I think I agree. I, I agree with you. I think the, the culture of hockey is definitely in and around, you know, the partying and then some drinking for sure. But I think to be honest, that is changing quite a bit with the, the kind of the new, the new age athlete or the new age hockey player. Um, you're, you're seeing guys that aren't you know looking to do that as much. And, you know, I had a couple, you know, older guys that I, I work with in, in both teams and there was still a lot of that going around, but I, I think it's changing. But I also think too, like if you do that too much now, you're out of the league. Like you're out of the league. You you can't compete with a, a 21 year old who <clears throat> doesn't touch alcohol at all and who's you know eight years your your junior and and just buzzing around on the ice. You, you can't do it. You'll be out of the league. You know. So I think that's kind of helped because I know for me, it, you know, there's a lot of things that I wanted to change when I first got to Anaheim, and it's like if I just start wiping stuff out and taking the beer off the plane and doing all this stuff, then the guys aren't going to listen to me. You know, they're not going to listen to me. So I'm going to slowly pick away at things and make changes that they don't even realize until it's so far after the fact that they forgot about it. You know? So at at one point when we were, we were taken off my first year, I changed a lot of food on the plane and which the players, you know, or on me about, in in a joking way for the most part. But this lady is loading up a cart, and I just see her in the galley. I'm like, what is she doing? All of a sudden, she comes trucking around down the aisle, and she's got warm chocolate chip cookies and little things of milk. And I just, like, put my hand out, and I'm like, what the fuck are you doing? Like, I didn't say that, but (laughs) what are you doing? She's like, oh, the boys really like these. I'm like, yeah, I bet they do. Put them back. Like, what? we got a game tomorrow. Like, you can't. What are you doing? You know, and like, but that was just the way that hockey was, right? Like, there was, there was no thought around, like, well, you know, it's just a, it's some cookies and some milk, yeah. But I got thirteen guys back there that have dairy intolerance, and they're going to be on the can for the next twelve hours. You know, like, you can't do that. That was kind of a, a rude awakening. But I think the booze thing is you know, it's still there because it's part of the culture and it's whatever, but I think it's changing. You know, I think, I think it is because you just can't like, we, I think part of my presentation too, I said something about our road trips. You know, we had you know, two and a half weeks of travel and it turned out to be like 15 or 17 games in 30 days. Like good luck, good luck being hung over and making your way through that without getting hurt or sick. Like it's just, it's just not doable anymore. You know, the schedule is the way it is you can't do it. And the guys that still partake in it are the guys that are getting themselves out of the league to begin with, you know? So I think it, I don't have to get on a soapbox as much, which is good because if you do that, you, you, you already know what's going to happen. You're going to lose your job. You know?
0: So how do you get guys to pay attention that don't. And I'll, I'll give you two examples of the good. Uh, Rod Brindamore's one, who is just a physical specimen, super fit, uh, working out all the time. Um, a buddy of mine named Jay Corcoran is a, is a boxer. He's actually from Oshawa and worked for Toronto Police, was close with Rod Brindemore. And Rod Brindamore's working out every day. He just is a, is a savage human being when it comes to the weights. You got another guy, Chris Chelios, who I actually think the most underrated athletic achievement in our generation is him playing for the Detroit Red Wings at 48 years old. Like, to play NHL hockey at 48, incredible. He's been taking care of himself his whole life. On the other hand, you have a guy like Wendell Clark, who from all accounts, was, was <laughs> drunk from January 1st until like <laughs> September, you know, the, the, the summer seasons and the lease were out of it. A guy that's not paying attention, how do you deal with that?
1: Well, I, I think it goes back to something I said before is, is, is developing trust, you know, and I think that's something that I worked very hard at where I wanted to make sure that my athletes, and I call them my athletes, that they knew that the gym within our facility, the gym was the best place to be. You know, you could come in there, you could have an honest conversation with me because I was in this hybrid area. I wasn't a, I wasn't the sport coach. I wasn't going to take away playing time. I wasn't going to, you know, mess with your career in that sense. I wasn't the management where, you know, contracts and this and that I wasn't medical. I could, I wasn't going to tell you that you couldn't play or that you you know you have to do X, Y, and Z. I was that it's a cool space to be in. You're that hybrid where they know they can trust me. And obviously that takes time to build up and what have you, but it's a, it's a cool area to be in because you can, you can really build relationships um, very quickly in that space. And that's again, what I've focused on doing because there's a lot of other coaches who are a hell of a lot smarter than me when it comes to programming and, you know, periodization and, you know, all the X's and O's there's, there's a million guys who are way smarter than me, but I feel like where I'm good is that relationship building is getting guys that, they believe that I'm there for them. I'm there to help them. I'm there to show them things that are going to either prolong their career, help them get through a tough spot. You know, I had guys that would come in sit in my office and guys who were making $8 million a year and they're having, they're having a tough time. They're having a tough time mentally, socially, whatever. And it's like, you know, again, I I feel good because I've been through some situations where I've had to deal with that. And, I could give them advice as a father, as a husband, as a, you know you know what I mean? Like I have some more life experience than they do a lot of the time, you know, because you're dealing with guys that at 16 years old has moved away from their home and they don't really have, it's kind of a crazy, like you mentioned the OHL, like it, it's, those kids are like pros in Oshawa. Like they could do no wrong, you know? So it's, it's an interesting dynamic. And if you know that the path of most of these guys and where they're coming from, it just makes it easier to create the relationship, you know? So I think it's, it's understanding your audience, you know, and if you're good at understanding your audience and a little bit of their background and where they're coming from, it just makes it easier to kind of break down those barriers. If you're, if you think you're something and you go into that room and you're puffing your chest out, those guys will eat you alive, eat you alive, yeah. right? Because yeah. they're just, that's the environment. They're ready for that. Oh, this guy thinks he's hot shit. Watch this. Right. And they're going to have the support of the room initially right? Mm-hmm. So it's, and I've seen it happen. I've seen it happen live where somebody's just a little insecure and just not sure of themselves and nervous. And then you just see the, you see the veterans just ponying up and like, oh, they're going to rip this guy apart. And they're not doing it like, you know, in a, in a mean way. Well, sometimes, but you know, it's more of just a ribbing. If you can't take it, if you can't, or if you're not comfortable in your own skin and you can't fire back, then they're going to eat you alive and they're not going to listen to you or they're going to, they're going to filter your message a little bit. And I think if, the more real you can be, the more authentic to yourself you can be, the more success you're going to have in terms of building that trust.
0: How do you, how do you as a coach, and, and I have a specific player I want to mention here because he's one of my favorites of all time. It's a two-parter. So A, how do you deal with a high performer like Alexander Ovechkin that clearly the booze isn't hurting him. And then part B to that is if you saw anything about his Stanley cup celebration tour, I'm, I'm fairly sure that he's got more vodka in his blood than he does plasma. Is that, like a, is that like a Russian physiology thing? Does booze affect that guy differently? What do you do with a guy like that?
1: Oh man. I, you know what? I, I think a lot of the time, in, in my opinion, yeah. I just get out of his way. You know, if he's going to keep scoring goals at that pace If he's going to, uh, you know, keep winning scoring titles and what have you, I just get the hell out of his way. Um, but I think you know there's something in the water in Russia, or maybe it's not in the water, but it's something different that they're that they're doing over there. But I mean, yeah, it's you know if it, I wouldn't be laughing if he was on my team because it's like how do you control that? I and mean, I don't it, even know if I have an answer because it's
0: it's dangerous, it, you know. It really no is. A, does that cause a divide? Because I'll I'll say frankly about him, he's special. Like he yeah. is an outlier. He shows up to games drunk. He's I, I mean I, I don't know what his partying routine is, but if you guys listening at home want something funny, just look up Alexander Ovechkin's Stanley Cup tour. And it's 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 the most ridiculous show of partying I've ever seen. But there's two things, right? One, he's scoring 50, 60 goals a year. Yep. Maybe he would score 70. The the and, and the other thing is, he's like, you're saying get out of the guy's way because yeah. something's working for him, whether it's yeah. psychological or whatever it is. But does that put bad ideas in teammates' heads? Because I know with me, people see me eat a bag of Doritos on my Instagram, and then all of a sudden they go buy, buy Doritos because they think that it's all of a sudden on the menu. And I'm like, well, no, you, we're probably not the same person. Does that filter down to the, like, the lower-level dudes, or do they understand that he's special?
1: You know what I think definitely in hockey, there's, there's situations like that, where that stuff does filter down, you know, Connor McDavid is a good example where, you know, he was particularly known for just always being on the ice, right? So all these young kids now, they think that that's the key. If I'm on the ice, my, you know, 10,000 hours, which I think is a, is a fallacy to some degree, you know, if I get my, if I'm on the, ice, on the ice, on the ice, on the ice, I'll be like Connor McNavid. No, you won't. You will not. He is a special athlete. And I say what I think Ovechians in the same light in terms of, in terms of how, you know, special talent they are, but you can't, I don't think you can also put all your eggs in those, you know, special people's baskets because that's just for a select population of the people, you know, like that's not your average guy. And, what I promote, what I talk about is long-term athletic development. I want good athletes. I'm not going to teach them how to play hockey. That's where the NHL coaches and all those other people come into play. But if I can showcase and build someone's athleticism, the qualities of that athleticism, speed, power, uh, conditioning, you know, all the, all the aspects that we all know is, you know, I'm going to, here you go. You're, you're where you need to be athletically. Now, hopefully you can play hockey. You know, like you already have a hockey skill set. Now these best coaches in the world are going to take you the rest of the way. You know, so I think there's a lot of misconceptions, especially in hockey. And it seems to be where if the best players are doing X, Y, and Z, everybody else thinks that they should do that. But I guess it's probably the same in a lot of other sports too, although I don't have any, and they're working any other on a team level for professional sports, but I would imagine it's the same. You know, if, if there's an NFL guy who's doing, you know, parachute sprints, you better believe that a lot of teams are going to be saying, Oh, are we doing that? You know, like it's, is it beneficial? Who knows? But um, I, I think most sports fall into that where they're, you know, they're, they're supreme athletes or their, their best players are doing stuff where um, and you know, the rest of the league will start to follow that. And I think it can be positive and negative, you know, in terms of Ove, of the yeah. Ovechkin thing with the drinking, but I think it's more prevalent on the positive side somewhat where, Hey, if best player in the world did this, we should all do that. You know, and I've fought that battle before too. It's like ladder drills. You know, they were big in hockey for a long time. Are they, do they do anything for you? Sure. They're good. Warm up. They're good for young kids, maybe for some coordination, but the sure shit ain't going to make you faster. What's going to make you faster is putting force into the ground, right? And and stride length, stride efficiency. That's what makes you, that's what makes you faster. Not going through a icky shuffle. Uh, you know, you know what I mean. So that's kind of like the where I see it coming from is is more of the influence of what these ex- extreme athletes are doing, as
2: opposed to you know their lifestyle. I'm thinking with uh, my experience working with a bunch of CrossFit athletes, like Rich Fronin wears a headband. All of a sudden, everyone's wearing a headband. It's like the headband ain't going to make you fitter. Like you got to work like the guy. <laughs> yeah, and he's five seven and a half,
1: and is and is built to Olympic lift. So good luck yeah. keeping up with that if you're six <laughs> two.
0: Anything, anything. You
1: shave
2: a few seconds off a workout, right? Yeah, exactly.
0: On On that note, when you are the strength and conditioning coach of a pro team, how much control do you have over the program? Like, do you have the owner coming down or the owner's kid or the GM monkeying around with your stuff all the time? Or are you left alone? Uh, it depends. You know, I think
1: there's, on the negative side, that can happen and that has happened. Um, but it, again, I think it goes back to the players too. If the players are happy with what you're doing as a coach or they're, you know, whatever that goes a long way. And th- that was something that was always on my side with, you know, cause again, I took the time to build the trust. And then, you know, I also kept up on my professional development. I knew that, you know, there was going to be these trends of people doing X, Y, and Z. So I addressed them, you know, I addressed the trends and, you know, either backed it up or, or backed it up with actual science and said, like, this is bullshit. We can't, you know, we shouldn't be doing this. This is why, you know? And so I, I've de- you definitely have to, you definitely have to be able to explain yourself. You know, you have to be able to explain your methods and your reasons why you're doing things. And you know, that, that rubs some people the wrong way, you know, like, Oh, I shouldn't have to explain anything. Hey, that's the way it is. It's the way it is. These guys want to make sure that we're doing the right thing. And there's a lot of invested money You're, you're managing, you're, you know, 80, $90 million in payroll annually. Like you, you, you better be able to back up what you're doing, you know? So I think there's, to me, it's just part of the, you know, part of it. And, and I try to, you know, when our athletes leave us, you know, for the off season, it's, you know, we can send them away with the program we can, we can do whatever, but ultimately they're going to go back to their private coach. Most of them have one. So my job, in my opinion, turned into connecting with their private coach to make sure that we're on the same page, you know, and that some guys don't do that. It's like, Oh, he should follow my program. No, I'd rather him follow the program where he's going to get coached. Like I'd rather have a relationship with the strength coach and say, Hey, this guy's, he needs to lose 10 pounds. He needs to do this, this, and this. Can you do it? Great. You need any help? Perfect. Let's combine on this, but I love what you're doing. You know what I mean? Like and a lot of guys, I think it's getting better now, but that's a big miss in the industry too, is that, Oh, I know it all. My program is going to be better than yours. No, it's not. It's going to be the one that's uh, you know, followed through the most. It's going to be the one that's coached properly. It's not, the best program is the one you're not
0: doing, right? Like it's. So I'm, I'm with you a hundred percent on that. One of the things that I've done is any of my NBA athletes, NFL athletes, Olympic guys, like whenever they start training with me, the first thing I do is talk to their home base coach and get permission. I just think it's a good step to show humility and makes the working relationship a lot better where if I can talk to their guy and say, Hey, here's my plans. And I kind of get them to sign off nine times out of 10. They will. Is the NHL, is it a divided locker room in strength and conditioning or do you have control over them all? Because in the NBA, one of the problems is you have a room of 15 guys, but five of them have their own trainer and their own program. And then the other guys are on a different thing. Is it NHL all uniform or is it divided?
2: I would say that if
1: if you've t- taken the time to build the relationships, it can be uniform or mostly uniform. Um, I mean, I've had guys that come in, you know, European guys that come in and say, oh, this is what I'm supposed to do. And this, you know, I trust my coach. And like, great, let me see it. Hey, these things are great. How about we include these other two exercises? You know, it's just a, it's an exercise in trust again. You know, it's an exercise in, Hey, yeah, let me see your program. Don't have to hide it. That's great. Hey, what's your coach's number? Let me give them a call and get on the same page. I, I do this, the exact same thing. I spent my summers visiting guys in their hometowns, just so like go spend time in the gym that they train at and, and make sure that their coach not make sure, but connect with their private coach and have a good relationship with him. You know, and the guys that were, and, mo- and again, nine times out of 10, those private guys were awesome, you know, but there is a couple instances where I was like, you know what? You're not training here anymore. This guy is, you have outgrown this guy or this, this business or whatever it is, you know, and it, it sucks to do that, but at the end of the day, he's my responsibility. So if he doesn't come back to camp the way that he should, then it's going to be put on me, not as private coach. Right. So, um, I think it's, I, I do a very similar process whereas making sure to connect with the players and understand that they do have trust with other coaches and that's great. And now they're going to have trust with me too. And it's, you know, if you have a divided room, it can be tough. And I've, I've heard some NBA horror stories where they actually have their strength coaches in the locker room with them on top of all the other. And I just, I'm blown away by that. I would never let that happen. I think I would probably quit before I let that happen. Um, but it is a pretty, you know, hockey guys are, in my opinion, some of the best athletes to work with just because of their, their, their attitude or their, the the cultural thing around, you know, Hey, this guy's here for us, you know, this is part of the team thing and that can be supported by the management and the coaches as well. And I think it's definitely more uniform than it is, you know, the other way, which is, which is a good thing.
0: Yeah, tell us a little bit, moving on from sports, tell us a little bit about what you do with Under Armour and what that entails. Cause I didn't know that about you and I was super intrigued of it when I was reading about you.
1: Yeah. I've been with, uh, I've been with Under Armour now for man, probably 12 or 13 years. So when they first came to Canada, um, a guy that I went to high school with actually, um, uh, Matt Shear. So he's the head guy for Under Armour Canada. And he's a former lacrosse player, played for the Toronto Rock and, uh, at the pro level when the Rock were first coming out and he shattered his arm, his, um, ulna, radiant ulna, I think it was. And, uh, I helped him rehab and we just started talking and you know, Hey, this is a company that I'm working for. I remember when, when he first started Under Armour in Canada, he had as his desk, he had a two saw horses and a piece of eight by 10 plywood sheet and a laptop. That's how Under Armour Canada got started. So I was in, again, very fortunate to be in on the, like the kind of the ground floor of that company starting and you know, the relationship, I guess, kind of just, uh, evolved from there. Whereas today I'm the lead member of their training team. Um, they've made some changes recently. We had an international training team with about 12 people on it. Um, but they've recently kind of gotten rid of that and it's, uh, uh, more centralized now. So I'm focused on all the Canadian stuff that they're doing. So we have some influencers just like all those big brands do. So my job is to kind of educate the influencers now on, you know, what to post and kind of, you know, where to steer their content, um, I've I've done all the commercials and photo shoots for Under Armour Canada. So they ask, or they give me a a theme of it and they ask me to put together exercises and scenarios that the athletes can be doing within these shoots and commercials and stuff. So that's been pretty neat. That's a, that's a completely different world than I'm used to. Um, A lot of fake sweat and uh, fake weights. Um, But it's been kind of cool too. It it gives you a glimpse into, you know, what those industries are like and, you know, you can, it it ends up being some pretty cool experiences. Um, and, and, and now it comes down to two is just writing some content for them. Um, we're hopefully once all this virus stuff goes away, we're going to be doing some more education around Under Armour and Under Armour training. Um, but as you can imagine, it's a big brand now. And, you know, there's a lot of moving parts. When I first started, it was basically me and two other guys and those two other guys were running the company. So it was, it was different, you know, and, um i'm super fortunate they sponsor my facilities we do some uh you know some events and stuff for them um you know so it's kind of a long road it's it's been an
0: amazing company to work for though so there is speaking of exceptional athletes there's a guy that works for under armor he's part canadian um his name escapes me right now but people call him the polynesian bobby maximus you know who i'm talking about um, no, Dwayne, uh, uh, Dwayne jo- Johnson. Dwayne, Dwayne Johnson. Johnson. Oh yes, yes, yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, yes, yes. I think I've heard of him. Do you, do you tell him to train, or do you leave him by himself as well? I'm going to
1: leave. I'm going to leave him by himself because I don't want to be crushed like a grapefruit. So <laughs> I'll, I'll leave him
0: alone. But man, what a what a cool platform that that guy's built himself. It's pretty amazing. Yeah, it's funny. I always wonder about that because he's with Under Armour, obviously, and he's always working out on his own. I wonder who tells him to train. Cause I just, he's another guy, like whatever you're doing, Dwayne, you just, you just keep, you go away and keep working on that yourself. Um, One of his cheat meals. Yeah, me too. He actually, (laughs) I, I, he outed himself the other day. He, uh, he was on Instagram live eating his cheat meal. And he had a nice. big ass piece of French toast. He did not eat all the French toast. Just ah, there you let go. me tell you a little bit of that's for effect. I do the same thing. Sometimes you mentioned COVID briefly, and we want to end the podcast by talking about that. Cause how can we not? Yeah. How's that affected you? And, and what are you doing in your own business to adapt? Cause obviously everything's shut down. So, so how are you yeah. doing? All three of my places are
1: shut down. Um, which is super disappointing. And, you know, One of all my gyms are, you know, kind of in municipally owned facilities. So, um, the one, the one main location is in a a town with these rinks, uh, six hockey rinks around us. So like, we didn't have a choice, you know, they let us stay open for another day or two, but it just wasn't worth it. I didn't want to put any of my staff at risk. I didn't want to put any of our clients at risk. Uh, our other location is another municipally owned facility. And then the other one is on a university campus. So they were all shut down immediately. You know, and then it was like, wow, this is actually happening. You know, I was, I was traveling on, I think it was Friday the 13th. And after Friday the 13th, it started to get real crazy. Everything started to shut down and what have you. And I mean, it's, it's terrible. I, I, you know, I've had to lay off all my staff, all our doors are closed and, you know, our revenue has taken a massive hit, just like a lot of other businesses have. The one thing that we are fortunate though, we have a online platform. uh, We use a company, a Canadian company actually called Kinduct uh, and part of their platform, uh, has an, as a training app with it. So it's something we utilize anyways. And, you know, so it was easier for us to kind of pivot and, you know, provide people with programming still. And I have the best customers ever. And a lot of them just, yeah, no problem. I'll keep going, you know, and we, we offered them a discounted rate for, you know, staying on with us and all this kind of stuff. And it's just about, I think more than anything, um, it's about leadership, you know, it's about leadership that this, this will end, you know, it will end at some point. And my focus is how can I lead my team through it? And part of that is education. We've, we're, we've been doing two or three calls a week like this, where I reach out to people in my network and we, we sit down and we, we talk with a co- another coach. You know, we did it with uh, Mike Potenza who's a head of performance, for the San Jose sharks. We did it with Brett Bartholomew who's a you know, thought leader now in our industry. We have another one coming up with, uh, JD uh, Gray from um, New Zealand. He's a head of the hurricanes, rugby, brilliant guy. So I'm, I'm lining up all these guys to like keep our staff engaged and making sure that we're communicating with each other. And again, I'm so fortunate. The staff that I do have is, you know, they didn't miss a beat. Everybody still is engaged and wanting to do this and, and keeping busy and what have you. And I think it's my job as the leader to help us navigate through it and, and make sure that we are prepared once this does end, you know, once we can open our doors again, I won't, I don't, I want it to be a a big opening. I don't want it to be a, okay, yeah, we're open, but there's nobody there. You know, I wanted to make sure that we treat our clients well and foster the relationships as best we can. And knowing that when this does end, we can open the doors and welcome everybody back. And I think that's the only way you can look at it. I think it's, it's easy to get caught up in the negativity of it and the um, you know, the watch the news too much or or watch Twitter or whatever. And I I definitely don't want to do that. I'd rather just, Hey, this is a time where we can get better educated. This is a time where we can communicate at a higher level and, um, you know, really pay attention to the things in our business that are going well, not going well. And I'm challenging my staff to really, okay, let's examine what we do. Is it, is it working? Should we change? You know, what, how are we going to look different when this thing is over? So that that's kind of how we're dealing with it. And I think I'm fortunate too to be in the fitness industry or health industry because it's not going anywhere either. You know, like uh, our our market is a pretty niche market. We work with a ton of athletes who are with former athletes, work with teams, organizations, like they're all going to get back on their feet again. And I just, again, I want to make sure that our business is there to serve those people again.
0: One question I have about that is, and and I don't know if it's because you're an old guy or because you've never needed to, and I say old guy respectfully because I, <laughs> I think I'm older than you, but um, is this forcing you to examine the whole online presence portion of training? Because I know a lot of guys like that, that work in the industry, if you've got a job with the teams and you're really doing the work, mm-hmm. you don't need to have 800,000 followers and don't need to have a whole online thing. Are you starting to look at that a lot more now because of this, or is it business as usual?
1: Hey, you know what, for me, it's similar. And that's probably an excuse more than anything, but I don't have a huge social media thing. Um, and you know, part of it is that I'm just not interested in it, to be honest. I think there's, there's other guys out there and girls that are, are men and women, sorry, that are, you know, that's part of their thing and they do a great job and, you know, it's constant content and whatever. And I just, in my life, I just, that's not something I'm interested in doing, you know, and Under Armour always asked me, Oh, you should do this, this and this. And wear a cutoff t-shirt and do that that's just not my thing you know it's just I'd rather be behind the scenes you know giving educational content to those coaches and and doing things like that. I probably will end up posting more now and and kind of putting some more thought into it uh, just because the times that we're currently in, you know I think that's that's something that where it can be beneficial. I think there's a lot of negativity around social media which I kind of disagree. I think there's a lot of good that you can derive from it. There's a lot of people that are, you know, putting out free platforms and free programs. It's awesome. Although I don't know how many more free push up challenges and burpee bullshit I can (laughs) handle. But, um, you know, I think if you spin it positively to encourage people or to, uh, you know, help people through this tough time with exercise and wellness, then that's great. And that's probably where I'm going to you know, uh, focus some of my time on on that side of things. But it's, again, it's not, it's not a world that I don't, I care to spend a whole lot of time in. I think that's just me personally. I'd I'd rather, I have three kids that I want to spend time with. And, um, I, I know people that, you know, are in the social media heavy, and a lot of them can't put their phones down, you know? And I just, I don't want to be that guy. And I've been that guy before and it's just not, it's just not worth it. You know? And, um, I think there's other ways to contribute to our industry, and other than social media. And I'm, I'm looking for more of those types of ways, you know, building online education content, building, you know, maybe a certification course of some kind, you know, I, I look for those opportunities rather than just more followers.
0: Right. I like it, Joe. Do you got anything else for Mark? Cause I got one final question, most important one of the entire podcast. <laughs> hit, him, hit him with it, Bobby. Let's go. All right. This, this actually covers both me and Joe. Joe is from Minneapolis He's a huge Minnesota fan. So when you were with the Mighty Ducks, what was it like working for legendary coach Gordon Bombay? <laughs> well, he likes to skate. I'll give him that. <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah, he likes to skate. But Minnesota, that was one of my favorite places to go. That was like, you talk about a hockey town. Oh, my God. Yeah. Like that's, and I had, a, I had a young athlete who was um, – there's a legendary strength coach there too, University of Minnesota, Cal Dietz. I'm sure you've heard that name before. Cal's a friend of mine now, but the reason I got introduced to him is uh, a girl that, or a young woman that used to train with me, Kelly Terry. And I went to our first road trip to Minnesota ever, or at least mine with the team. And we went to see Cal and have a workout and just chat. And I look up on one of his whiteboards and like top left-hand corner, there's like a bunch of like records that are, are there. And my girl, my, my trainee still had like three out of the five records. So I like took a picture of it and Mike called her and you know, it was kind of a proud, proud moment, proud coach moment. When I can see that, you know, years after she's graduated, she's still owning some of those records. And that's how I got introduced to Cal. It was like, he called me, he's like, what are you doing with this girl? Like, <laughs> I mean, I can't take credit. She's, you know, 135 pounds doing shit with 90 pounds around her waist. So I can't take credit for that. Like, she just comes into the gym and I give her stuff to do you know like it's not uh but yeah it's that was one of my favorite cities to visit but yeah I don't know how much more I have to say about Bombay he was uh, him and I butted heads a lot
0: I wonder I wonder how many people out there will even know the reference that I'm talking about <laughs> yeah my but, uh, kids do they're all looking at me <laughs> and, but one one more because it opened the door Right. And this is, uh, this is uh, I'm trying to decide if we can be real life friends or not. You're a person I respect. who and I admire in the training industry, but I'm not sure if we're friends yet. What's the proper name for the Minnesota hockey team? North Stars. Good. You passed. I <laughs> almost boxed.
1: I almost boxed there.
0: <laughs> yeah. There is, like, a thing with that in hockey, at least where I'm from. Like, it's got to be the old school thing. Yeah, I agree. Teams don't move. It's like I have a, such a hard time with the avalanche, especially – they would have been one of the greatest Canadian hockey teams ever. I mean, with that oh, line yeah. they had, you know, and, and so I, I have a hard time when teams move and it will always be the North Stars to me, not yep. the wild. Um, <laughs> I, I have a hard time seeing nothing against Anaheim. I love Anaheim, but I have a hard time seeing warm weather hockey teams. I was so happy when the, oh, jet, yeah. when the Jets came back. I was excited. <laughs> I was thrilled for them to get their hockey team back. You that's, know? A, that's a tough travel
1: destination when you're coming from California, though. Oh, my yeah. God.
0: Nobody wants to go to Winnipeg, period. Like, it's one of those places that I think it's still minus 90 there. Actually, it's it's speaking of coronavirus. The coronavirus cannot live in Winnipeg.
1: It's <laughs> not so, a chance. <laughs> it's the safest Nothing, place to be.
0: <laughs> nothing's coming up there. Uh, listen, Mark, it has been a blast having you. Um, you really influenced me when I heard you speak at the NSCA. I don't know if I ever told you that. But uh, you're one of the guys that really got the wheels turning. Um, especially with kind of the way you thought and and I love the way you run your career as well you're a person that I admire and look up to and like I said steal stuff from I, I do give you credit for two weeks when I steal something and then and then I make it my own just so you know I like that well I appreciate it man thank you for the kind oh, words It's, it's awesome give you two weeks of credit so yeah. thank you very much for coming on the show thank you very yeah, much thank you guys thanks guys appreciate it cause you're the last of a dying breed.